Well, good morning. It's amazing to me that as we dig into God's Word, how incredible His Word is. It's clear, but it's also deep. It's easy to understand, yet complex enough to sometimes drive us a little nuts. One author writes, God has made His Word so crystal clear that only the blind and blatant disbelief will not understand. He has made enough of His Word so deep that even the most faithful must depend on Him and not their intellect. And I was, I was thinking about that this week because this passage this week is hard. It's a difficult passage. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? And it's unforgivable. That all of a sudden should make a red flag. We should be looking and going, this is a big deal. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I want to know what the unforgivable sins are so I can avoid them. And so as I was looking at this passage a couple weeks ago, preparing for today and preparing for last week, I just didn't feel at peace with looking at it last week. Something didn't fit. You know, have you ever had that where, where your, your brain, you're thinking about something, but you have this in the back of your mind, and you're like, this just doesn't, something's not right. You can't quite put your finger on it. And so I, I said, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to move forward with verses 31 and 32. And that became last week's sermon. We stopped in 30. Because I, I didn't know how 31 and 32 went with what came before it, and I wasn't at peace. And so I did not consult books. I didn't do that. I just said, Lord, you're going to have to show this to me. You're going to have to explain this to me. Because there are people on one side that say it's this, and people on the other side that say it's this. And then there's people that just ignore it and move on by. And none of those seem to work for me. So I started studying verses 33 through 37, and it was like a light came on. The Lord said, here's the answer. Here's the solution to what the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is. And it's right in the text. Again, how masterful is God's Word? That we can read through a passage like that and we can go, oh my gosh, I can't see it. And then the Lord goes, here, let me. I am the one that wrote it after all. Here it is. So today we're going to look at this difficult passage. And first of all, first, there's, there's a lot of little mini lessons in here along with the big one. But the first mini lesson is the Spirit's alive and active. He's working. So you can open your Bibles and he can show you the truths that commentators have a hard time with. Truths that pastors can't see even though they're looking hard at it. So be encouraged. God's word is alive and the spirit is alive. If you're his, he will show you what God's word says. So our big idea today is how do we respond correctly to the Holy Spirit? How do we respond to this third member of the Trinity? The, the third member of the Trinity that so many times gets forgotten or kind of put aside as, oh, that's just kind of a mystery. I mean, our older translations called it the Holy Ghost. You know, I know we're coming up on Halloween, but most people aren't like, I'd like to invite a ghost into my house. That sounds like the start of a bad movie, right? And so this, this, this Holy Ghost, this Holy Spirit is something we need to reckon with. Because right here, Jesus says, you need to obey him. You need to not blaspheme him. So let's dig into our context. So we're going to go back to verse 30 because this is where we left off last week. And if you remember, Jesus has just been called the servant of the devil. He's been called a worker of the devil because he's been casting out demons. And the Pharisees have called him on that. Jesus has also said, I do everything by the power of the Spirit. 
And so there's this, there's this back and forth between the Pharisees and Jesus. And Jesus utters these words, Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. So we see this picture of him saying, there are two camps, there's only two. And these are the only two camps that anyone can be in. You can either be for me or you can be against me. There's no middle ground. And we talked about that last week. But we must understand that it's not only where, how God divides us, but it's also how God deals with sin. To those who sin and are against God, God, put, God allows that wall that they're building to stay there. And for those who repent of their sins, God breaks down that wall, and that wall now allows access to God yet again. See, God is not neutral to sin. He either forgives it or He punishes it. Those are the two options that we have. And so this is kind of the, the starting place as we begin into this passage this week, which has caused people so much trouble. And again, I, I want us to feel the, 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 the pressure on this text because at some point each of us is going to say, what if I did this? Does this mean that all this Christianity that I've been involved in is now worthless? That there's no hope for me? Or we know someone who's done the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and we go, do I even share the gospel with them? Is it worth it? I mean, it says they can't be forgiven. Well, I want us to sit in that, that tension for a minute. But before we do that, let's read the whole thing. So start in verse 31 because 31 and 32 both start with amazing promises that we lose because of the second part of each verse. So I'm going to summarize these two amazing promises in this. All sins will be forgiven, including blasphemy. All sins. Every single sin. What does all mean? It means all. It means every sin will be forgiven. Look at verse 31. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. Okay, so blasphemy is not a word we're using on a regular basis. You're not walking through the grocery store and going, man, that checker was just blaspheming. Oh, man. We don't, we don't use that word. It's a church word. So what does it mean? It means to speak contemptuously about God or what God does. Specifically, you can blaspheme Jesus, you can blaspheme God, or you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. In each of these, you're saying that God is garbage, that God is something I don't want to be around. Or you're saying that God is evil. Or you're saying what he's done is bad or evil or contempt. So any way of belittling and putting into disarray God, the Holy Spirit, or Jesus would be blasphemy. So look at verse 31a. Every sin and blasphemy. Look at verse 32, the first part of 32. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Son of Man is code Jesus talking about himself. He says, you can say whatever you want about me. It will be forgiven. So let's not miss what this promise says. So even if there is some sin out there that we cannot ever be forgiven of, there's one. How many other sins are there on the other side? Well, there's six, almost seven billion people on earth. There's at least seven billion different sins, and we've got a lot more than that, right? Jesus says, I will forgive all sins. Think about the people that Jesus had around him or that he used. Peter. Did Peter blaspheme Jesus? Yep, three times. Denied him. Said, no, I don't know that person. I don't have anything to do with him. 
How about Paul? What was Paul doing before Jesus reached down and grabbed him? He was, it says he's snorting out threats. Now, you ever thought about that? For, okay, this is a bunny trail. I got to go there. It's fun, though. You ever thought about how weird church would have been with Paul? Right? So he's in Jerusalem, and he's locking people up and throwing them in prison and killing some of them. Then he becomes a Christian, and it says he goes to those churches and worships with them. Do you think that people were sitting really close to him? It's like, oh, yeah, you're the guy that... You're the guy that threw my mom in prison. You're the guy that killed my brother. I mean, think about that. But yet they, what does it say? They welcomed him in. And it's such a picture of what God does with us. Even a blasphemer, even someone who's a murderer of Christians, God will forgive like he did Paul. And if we think about it, we all blaspheme just a little bit, don't we? We deny Christ by our silence and our cowardice at times. We defame him when we question his goodness. It's so ridiculous to me that, that, I mean, I did this yesterday, right? The Lord is so good. He's provided so much. And then something goes wrong with your day and you're like, Lord, what are you doing? And God's going, I'm just lining you up to bless you. Would you shut up? <laughs> but see, that's where we go. And, and so we have this constant, this, this, this sinful desire to constantly go, is God really good? Is God really there? Did Jesus really die for my sins? Those are all bordering on blasphemy, and they're all forgivable. So one author wrote this, and it's too good. I just got to read the whole thing. What about driving under the influence? Every sin will be forgiven. What about cheating on a history test? Every sin will be forgiven. What about getting your teenage girlfriend pregnant? Every sin will be forgiven. What about having an abortion? Every sin will be forgiven. What about lying under oath? Every sin will be forgiven. What about backbinding, complaining, and gossiping? Every sin will be forgiven. What about cheating on your husband or your wife? Every sin will be forgiven. What about loving money more than God? Every sin will be forgiven. What about experimenting with homosexuality? Every sin will be forgiven. What about recurring pornography watching? Every sin will be forgiven. What about murder? Every sin will be forgiven. And I want that to land on us because that's where this starts is that there is not a single sin that will not be forgiven if we repent and turn to Christ. So this isn't a blanket check of, oh, we get to go do what we want. No, it's we must repent and it will be forgiven. Every single sin. So what does this word repent mean? Again, not one of the words we're using while we're walking in Freddy's. Repent means to turn and go a different direction. For many of us, it means we turn away from sin and replace it with something else. Some sort of get out of doing that sin again. And that's not a bad thing, because the Bible does want us to flee from sin. But repentance truly means to turn from sin, turning away from it, and turning to God. Godly sorrow leads us to repentance, leads us to salvation, 2 Corinthians 7. This idea of faith and repentance go hand in hand. They're the same thing. I'm saying I'm not going to trust in this thing. I'm going to turn to God in faith and repent. 
So this repenting is key, and we're going to see that this is going to come back in a few minutes because this is the key to understanding the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. All right, so now we got to get into the muck. Let's look at verse 31b. It starts with the word but, and this is not a good but. Not like the ones when it says, but God. This one says, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. In verse 32, he says, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, that's what blasphemy is, will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So the first thing we need to notice, and this is where I struggled with this passage, is Jesus doesn't say the Pharisees have done this. Now, he does say this right after they've done something really close. But Jesus could have said, by example, what you just said. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he just puts it out there. Now, why is he doing that? I think Jesus is still warning the Pharisees, and he's saying, you're on the precipice. You're on the edge. Some of you might be dangling over the edge of going too far. But you need to see that this is a serious issue. He's saying this is perilous. You're on the verge of death. You're on the verge of damnation, which is way worse than the worst death. As long as they draw breath, though, there's a potential for repentance. And Jesus, even these Pharisees that are the constant thorn in his side, his kindness is on display. And he's saying there's still a chance. Now, sadly, we only know in the Bible of two Pharisees that repented and turned to Christ. Now, I think there's probably going to be more when we get to heaven. But the Bible counts only two of the about 10,000 Pharisees in Israel. So, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This is, you, you, you acknowledge that it's this Holy Spirit and you hate it. And you persistently push against it. And you say, no, 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 I am not, not going to give in. Matthew Henry, the, the uh, commentator from a couple centuries ago, he said, those who fear that they've committed this sin give a good sign that they have not. What that means is, is if you're worried about committing the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you're in good place because if you didn't worry about it and you just kept doing it, then you've probably done it. But here's the thing. I can give you assertions. I can tell you what other famous people have said. I can do all that. But if I don't show it to you in the Bible, it's of no use. So when I was reading this and it finally clicked, I, I feel the Spirit telling me this is what we need to see. So let's get into the next section because it'll explain how this sin is unforgivable and how if you are following Christ and you are repenting of your sins, because we have plenty to repent of, we are not committing this sin. So why is this sin not forgiven? So this next section, 33 through 37 Jesus is asking, where does the good in our lives come from? Where does this fruit come from? The average American would say, well, I'm good on the inside, but every once in a while I do bad things. So they would say, well, the reason good things come from me is because I'm actually inside good, right? That's the whole believe in yourself, trust yourself, listen to your inner self, all of that that our country and our world pushes. The Bible says the exact opposite of that, though. It says, without being born again, the tree is rotten, and it's amazing that you do anything good ever. But a good tree will bring good fruit. Look at verse 33. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. 
That word bad means rotten or diseased in the Greek. It's the same as what Jesus used back in Matthew 7. The Pharisees, as they, are, as they are spewing venom onto Christ, they're showing what kind of tree they are. But ultimately, this is a call to conversion. When he says, make the tree good or make the tree bad, Jesus is saying, stop playing around. Either be converted and follow Christ or get out of the way and go pursue evil. The thing about it is, is that God does not require us to be perfect to come to him he's going to make us like christ and make us more perfect as he works on us what he requires from us is simple and sincere affection he requires for us to be devoted to him and that devotion to him is what's going to lead us to not want to hurt him and not want to belittle him and not want to blaspheme him and not want to do things that drive a wedge between us and him verse 34 you brood of vipers He's calling them the sons of Satan. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Out of the abundance. One translation says, out of the overflow of your heart. See, a person cannot solve their mouth problem because it's a heart issue. You can't just work on your mouth and go, I'm just going to work on my mouth and try not to say stuff. It'll do no good because the issue of the mouth is the heart. And the Holy Spirit is the one who changes hearts. Praise be to God that we're not stuck there. Verse 35, the good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. There's two kinds of people. There's people who are storing up good and there's people who are storing up evil. This word treasure is treasury or reservoir. This verse is saying that goodness and evil are not calculations. It's the overflow. Most of us, when we do good things, it's not because, hmm, okay, today I'm going to do some good. What am I going to do? Or conversely, well, you know, today, today's going to be an evil day. I think I'll just do some evil today. We don't do that, do we? How many times do you see on the news somebody, everybody says, oh, they're so good, they're so kind, then they're so nice, but they snapped this one time, right? I mean, that's, that's most of the major crimes in the world, the pa- crimes of passion, as people call them. It's they snap. It's an overflow. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, no, no, those aren't accidents. Those are repercussions of the tree and where it's rooted. It's about the being, not about the doing. Jesus is aiming deep. He's saying goodness is not something, you know, pumped up and rah, rah, let's go be good. We can do that on a Sunday, right? Because the pastor gets up and rah, rahs you. But where is that on Wednesday? Where is that on Thursday? From out of the overflow of the heart, good happens or evil happens. Jesus is going real deep here. And he's saying, if your heart is not changed, if your heart is evil, you're going to be evil. If your heart is good because the Spirit's working on you, it's going to produce good. And he tells us why this is important. Verse 36. I tell you on the day of a judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So this is, this is, a, little, this is a little sobering, isn't it, if we're honest? This is saying every single one of us is going to give an account for their words. And the good news is, is that if we're standing in front of the judgment and we have to rec- account for words that we said carelessly, I think we're going to be repenting on the day of judgment, continuing it. 
Yeah, I said that. I can't believe I said that. Lord, forgive me. And those who are there that are, are, are those rotten, evil trees are going to go, yeah, I said it. Who cares? But we are going to give an account for all the words we have said. James 3, 8 says, No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. The words of our mouth show our inward character. And for many of us, we hear something like that and we go, yeah, okay, I need to, I need to buck up. I need to, you know, I need to just work a little bit harder. That's not the point of this passage. It's not the point of what the Bible teaches. Yes, we do effort. We have to put effort into it. But understanding that if we are able to do anything of good, it comes from where our roots are. It comes from the Spirit. I'm going to show you that here in a minute. Today, we use our tongues in all sorts of ways. And yes, what you type onto social media counts as using your tongue. We gossip and call it news. We criticize and call it prayer requests. We think it's okay to speak harshly in private because, of course, no one will ever find out until they do. But worst of all, all those words that we think we're keeping to ourselves, in our world, we know they get out, right? There's no secrets Our heart is the issue behind it all. Because even if we let it all out, the heart hasn't changed. So this announcement is severe. I told you guys, there's all sorts of little parts of this passage this week that have nothing yet to do with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. These are free. These are extra, you know. This is severe. But yet Jesus is saying, there is a way to fix your tongue. There is a way to have a tongue that glorifies God. Most people think that Their hearts are okay and their tongues are the problem. Instead, Jesus is saying, no, your heart is the problem. The tongue is just a symptom. So the way to change how we talk is to change our hearts. The way to change how we talk is to turn from the way we've done it and not try a new program of watching our mouth. You know, I'm just going to put duct tape on all day. No, it's to turn from what we've always done and turn to Christ, and then whatever He tells us to do, we do. And if it's duct tape, praise be to God. There's a lot of people that could use it, amen? (laughs) And I'm one of them. So that's the picture that we have to have here, because look at James 3.8. What does it say? No human being can tame the tongue. Why didn't James say no one? Because there is somebody who can tame the tongue. There is somebody who can take the tongue and take it from a poisonous well to a well of living water. And this is the one we must focus on. Because the solution to bad mouths is new hearts. The solution to bad trees is new roots. We need to see that our tree, we need to be born again. See, the heart is overflowing. Where does that good come from? Again, our world says, deep down inside, there's a nugget of goodness somewhere in there. The Bible says, no, you are rotten to the core. But when Jesus comes in, he begins growing good in you. And that good just continues to grow and well up. The good that's in us does not become, not because we're better Christians than the person next to us. It's not because we've been in church longer than the person next to us. The good that comes out of us comes from one place and one place only. And that's from the Spirit's work in you. 
That, that, that mysterious member of the Trinity that's the forgotten member that we push off to the side because there's some people that do their worshiping of the Holy Spirit differently than we do. And there's some people over here that don't really get it, so they deny it. We need to be right in the middle, which is the Holy Spirit's here. He's working on each of us. He's a part of the Godhead. So what does he do? Well, first of all, we need to understand that the point of this passage is not the unforgivable sin. The point of this passage is that there's a spirit the Holy Spirit, and He, not it, He's not some force like Star Wars, it's a He, He is working in each and every one of our lives to make us more like Christ, to make us want Christ more, and to produce good in us. Look what Jesus said in John 16, telling His disciples about Him having to leave. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, and all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, the Holy Spirit is, this is like the win-win-win situation for us, right? Jesus goes to the cross and takes our sin, and he doesn't go, all right, work out your salvation by yourself. No, he sends the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come along and like whisper in our ears. No, it says He takes up residence in us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit, meaning the place where on earth God resides. So when we all get together, the Holy Spirit is here even more than if we were here by ourselves. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, all of our actions, our methods, our plans are futile like us trying to propel our own boat by blowing on the sails. The only way this church is going to do anything of value is if we unleash the Holy Spirit in each of our lives so that not only are our lives overflowing with good, but our church begins overflowing with good and it gets on everyone and they go, where does that come from? It comes from the Spirit. Let me show you this in the Bible. First thing we see for the Holy Spirit is John 3, 5. It says that the Holy Spirit is how we are born again. Look at it. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So being born again comes from the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now that's not saying that you can just say those three words, but to say it and believe it and live it out. Romans 8, 13 talks about the Holy Spirit and how it put to death the deeds of the body. The Spirit helps us put those to death. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 talks about the holiness which we we can only see the Lord if we have it is in us by the Spirit. What it says there, it says sanctification by the Spirit. Sanctification, another church word. It means to be made like Christ, to be made holy. The Spirit does that in us. The good that we are able to do that looks like Christ comes from the Spirit in us. Ephesians 1.17, 
It says the Holy Spirit is our spirit of wisdom. And that we'll, we'll be foolish if we don't have the spirit of wisdom in us. So if we do something right, ministry related, we do something right, biblically, it's because the Spirit has come in and said, I'm going to give you some of the wisdom that you need. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It says, to each believer is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That means for everyone around you. You see it right there? He's saying anything you do for the good of the people around you as a believer comes from the fact that the Spirit is working on you. It's not that you're good enough and smart enough and people love you. It's because the Spirit is working on you. Romans 8.11, I love this one. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This is, this is, kind, of, this is kind of paradigm shifting, isn't it? Because when we look at what it means to be a Christian, many of us, and I know for most of my life, it has always been, I have to do this thing. I have to try a new plan. I have to effort it out. And yes, we are called to do that. There is obedience required. But it's not meant to be done in my strength because I'll never be able to do it. It's meant to make me have to tap in to the Spirit because the Spirit is the power the Greek word is dynamis. We've talked about this. It's the word for dynamite. It means explosive. And when you are turning to the Spirit over and over again, He gives you the power to obey. That's the best deal I've ever heard. God came, died, took our sins. He sent a helper. That helper lives inside of us. And that person living inside of us is going to work out obedience as we obey in His power. This is the sweetest deal ever. No wonder they call it good news. That word good might not be big enough, though. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I think this helps us get our minds wrapped around it. If you could pray the best prayer in the world without the Holy Spirit, God would have nothing to do with it. Think about that for a second. Most biblical prayer, the most amazing prayer with all sorts of flourishes. But... If your prayer be broken and lame and limping, but made by the Spirit, God will look on it like He did on His creation and said, that is very good. See, that's what we need to get our minds wrapped around is this idea that the Spirit is the one that provides the power and creates the good that we are doing. Without the Spirit, there's no new birth. There's no confession of Jesus as Lord. There's no victory over sin. There's no sanctification. There's no spiritual wisdom, spiritual gifts. And ultimately, without the Spirit, there's no resurrection from the dead for us in this life. We owe everything to the Spirit's work in our lives. God laid out the plan. Jesus purchased it. And now the Spirit is transforming through His power in us. So, how does this tie back to this unforgivable sin? Well, let's walk through the steps here. The Spirit is the one that brings about repentance, right? Only through the Spirit is there true repentance. Yes, there are people that are not Christian that see that they're doing something wrong and they say, I'm going to stop doing this wrong thing and I'm going to go do something else. And guess what? That something else might become a wrong thing pretty soon. 
right? I'm going to stop doing this thing. I'm going to add this other thing in there. Repentance, again, is not I'm going to stop doing this thing. It's I'm going to stop doing this thing, and I'm going to do the most unnatural thing for a fleshly human, and I'm going to turn to Christ as my only hope. The Spirit is the one that calls us to repentance. Without repentance, there's no forgiveness. So there's no forgiveness without the Spirit working on us. See, the prime mover in our salvation is not us. It's the Holy Spirit pulling us, right? It's not like the Holy Spirit's hanging out in heaven, and I go, well, you know what? This whole non-Christian thing's not working. I'm going to repent and be a Christian. And the Holy Spirit goes, wow, I never expected he would do that. I'm going to go down there and save him. That's not the way it works. It's actually 100% backwards. Instead, the Spirit begins tugging on the hearts. And if you're honest, and if you are, you've been a believer, you can remember back to what that was like. There were things where you're like, ah, unsettled about. That was the Spirit going, come on, come this way. Now, we still need to submit to that pulling, but that's what the Spirit does. He pulls us and pulls us. And some of you right now are getting pulled, and you're uncomfortable by it. That's the Spirit working on you. So if you deny that, Every time that happens and you say, no, that's evil, I'm going to keep it at arm's length, I'm going to reject it, then that repentance will never happen, which means forgiveness will never happen. So blasphemy against the Spirit of God is unforgivable because the only avenue to repentance is rejected. You get that? The reason it's unforgivable is not because it's in this classification of really super bad sins, genocide's over here, but this is the really super bad sin. It's the sin that in order to commit, you have to deny the one that gives you repentance. You're denying the only way to repentance, which is the Holy Spirit. And if you deny the Holy Spirit, if you reject the Holy Spirit, there is no way to repent. There is no way to forgiveness because He is the only one that brings about repentance. This is the unforgivable sin. It's when we resist the Holy Spirit so long and so intensely that the Holy Spirit's convicting power is pulled back and He lets us be. Romans 1 talks about giving them over to their sinful desires. So Jesus is not saying all blasphemies except for this one are not, not forgivable. It's bring, he brings it out a little bit clearer in the Gospel of Mark, but we'll see it here. He's saying all blasphemies will be forgiven if repented of. And the reason why the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven is because in order to repent of it, you have to believe in the Holy Spirit. If a sin makes it impossible for you to repent, then it is an unforgivable sin because forgiveness is promised to those who genuinely repent by the movement of the Holy Spirit. So we need to understand that this call to repentance... I mean, if you haven't seen it already, I've kind of laid out that all these things that God has done for us, but God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. Romans 2, 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is to lead to repentance? He is patient with us. He's patient with us, and he, he recognizes that for some, we have denied God, and that's bad. We've denied Jesus, and that's just as bad, if not worse. But the Father has said, there is still a way. I have sent my Spirit. And my Spirit is not something in the past that you can deny. 
My spirit's not something that's this ephemeral God thing out there that made everything. No, the spirit's alive and active in my people, and you can see it. So as long as you breathe, there is hope for repentance. There's hope for the spirits pulling for you to finally give in and submit to the fact that you're a wretched sinner and you need Christ. Because the Holy Spirit's job is not to say, hey, I'm really good, pat me on the back. His job is to say, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. There is still hope, even if we reject God and Jesus, because the Spirit is at work. This helper, this intercessor, this advocate, these are all different words that we use for the Holy Spirit, is patiently working even when we're rejecting, even when we're ignoring, and yet he's God's kindness, and this leads us to repentance. Now, it's important that we understand some things about how we see this repentance wrong, because I think that this kind of leads us on a path of thinking, well, as long as I, as long as I plan to, you know, repent at some point, or, or as long as I, you know, sort of do some things about my sin, I'll be okay. But the warning here is that rejecting the Holy Spirit's call on your life for repentance is not a good place to be in. That's what this passage is talking about. So if the Holy Spirit's calling you to repent for something, repent. Don't deny it. Don't deny it. Don't harden yourself. Don't keep him keep at arm's length. This is what the Pharisees did. And how many of those 10,000 repented? Two. That's not a club you want to be in. So what repentance is not? Well, first of all, it's not what I'm doing up here making you all feel guilty. It's not automatically repentance when you feel guilt. It's also not automatically repentance when you confess it. We like to think it is. We like to, we like to confess it. Maybe we, we announce it in front of a bunch of people. Maybe it's we, we get in a small group and we announce, or we have a, you know, a prayer partner and we tell them, I messed up, I, I did this. And we go, oh, that's too bad we pray for you. Maybe we talk about some next steps. That could be repentance, but it's not by itself. Because remember, repentance is not simply, this is sin and I'm not going to do it again. It's, this is sin, I'm not going to do it again because I'm going to run hard after Christ. So yes, and I've talked, I had students that had this issue. They got caught doing something terrible and they got up and they said, I've repented and I, I said, I hope so. Oh, but I, I totally, I, what I did was wrong and I totally acknowledge it and I'm going to not do it again. And I said, I hope it's repentance because repentance isn't getting caught and saying I'll never do it again. Repentance isn't getting caught saying I'll never do it again, and putting things in the way so you won't do it again. Repentance is, I'm turning to Christ. And he uses all sorts of ways to do that. Sometimes it's getting caught. Amen. I got caught every time I stole something from the cookie jar. My mom can attest to it. She's right over here. <laughs> Amen for that. But at the same time, if the Holy Spirit's working on you, he wants to pull you without having you get caught. He wants to pull you without having this big blow up because he wants you to say, my sin is not what I want. I want my Christ. So repentance is turning and the Holy Spirit, and again, sweetest deal ever. As soon as you give in to the repentance, he gives you the power to now choose Christ. As you open up, open up the system and let the Holy Spirit come in, he's the one that's going to pull you. Now, does that mean you're never going to be tempted by it again? No, but his power is flowing. And the more of that that we allow into our lives, the more we see Jesus, the less those sins become the thing that run us. 
So we, we see this wrongly at times. Sometimes we see it that I have to add some new thing in or I have to change what I'm doing instead of seeing I am sinful and I am polluted. We, we, we kind of we buy on this, don't we? Sometimes we go, oh, I, can, I can do this sin because God will forgive me. I can do this because I know that he'll, he'll, he'll let me repent. Again, I don't know that that's repentance. I hope it is. But if you're seeing your sins as, I'll take some sin because I know I got some Jesus over here, man, that, that doesn't look like the biblical model of repentance. On top of all that, asking the question of, well, how many sins can I do before I do the unforgivable sin? Whoa, you're playing with some seriously dangerous stuff in that situation. The question isn't, how much poison can I intake before it kills me? It's, how can I get rid of the poison and be with my Christ? So, no matter what is going on in your life right now, no matter what it is that the Lord is stirring up in you in this time that we've had together today, you need to be repulsed by your sin, no matter how small, no matter how big, and do not wait. Repent today. I told you guys it was good news. I said that word good wasn't good enough. It gets even better. Not only does God say, repent from this thing that you're going towards. Turn towards me, and I will give you me. Not only that, he's going to give us life and abundantly. You know, our eternal life with Christ does not start when we die. It starts here and now. And I know that that's so foreign to us because everything in our culture is you need all this stuff to make your life matter. No, some of the most contented and joy-filled people didn't have one one-thousandth of the things that we have, but they had the one thing that matters, the one thing that fills that hole inside of each of us, and that is they had Christ. And they had the Holy Spirit opening up the floodgates of letting them see Jesus. Because just like I said about the Bible earlier, that it's so clear that we can get it, but it's so deep to confound us. That's our Christ. This Bible points to our Christ. And yes, our kids over there in the nursery, they get Jesus died for my sins. And we can keep digging and we'll never get to the bottom of what that means for our lives right here in 2022. That's the picture that we need to have. And this only comes through the relationship that the Holy Spirit gives us. Do you guys get this? We can't get Christ without the Holy Spirit. We can't. Christ is in heaven. He's up there interceding for us. We have no connection to him aside from the Holy Spirit's connection that he gives us. So we open up and we get more of Christ. How do we do this? Romans 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and the mouth one confesses and is saved. When our hearts are right because the Holy Spirit has now turned them on to Christ, then our mouths are overflowing, just like we saw in this passage. This is how we get salvation, is the Spirit working on us. And look at this promise. This is a promise from the Old Testament, but it's good through today. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I told you guys, the greatest news ever, and it's not what I think. It's what it says right here. 
It says, I'm going to come and live inside of you, and I'm going to give you the ability to obey me. I'm going to give you the ability to walk in my commands. The commands feel burdensome when you're trying to do it on your own. When you're doing it in the Spirit, it's a joy because you're doing it for Him. So, as we wrap up, repent. If you feel called, not because of my words, not because of the music, not because of the location, if you're feeling that pull on your heart, that's the Spirit. Don't ignore Him. Don't ignore what the Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit is the only way to make true repentance stick. Otherwise, it's us in our feeble attempts trying to self-manage, self-control, fix our lives. And we know they don't work. I mean, middle of January, you all have forgotten your New Year's resolutions already. And this is way more important than that. So he's the only one that can bring us true repentance. So if you're harboring a sin... And you keep returning to it over and over and over again. Your heart is getting harder and harder to the Holy Spirit's prompting. This is a place and a time to be terrified. If your heart is not sensitive to the sins that you're committing over and over and over again, right now the Holy Spirit wants to bust through that. He wants to say, enough. Don't harden yourself to me because I want full access. So today... If you're here and you're like, I don't hear anything. I don't have any places to repent. Stop and ask the Lord where you need to repent. Because every single one of us has multiple places that we need to repent. And for, for sure, I think most of us have mouth issues, right? We have places where we say things carelessly. It can be when we get cut off in traffic. It can be when something doesn't happen the way it should. But we have mouth issues. And those mouth issues are a good place to start with the repentance. It's right here in the passage. The Lord just put it out there for us. Ask the Spirit where I need to repent and then repent of it. And for those of you that have sins that are now weighing on you because of this message, don't start thinking of a plan of how you're going to avoid those sins. That'll come soon. First and foremost, throw yourself at His feet. And say, Lord, keep your promise. Keep your Ezekiel 36. Guys, memorize that verse. If you don't already have it memorized, memorize that verse and go, Lord, keep your promise. You promised my hard heart would be removed. You promised that you would give me a soft and moldable heart. You promised that you would fill me up and cause me to obey you. Lord, I call on that promise. And the greatest news of all, the best news of all, is he will do it. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what incredible news that you've allowed me to proclaim today, Lord. I, I'm just humbled that you let us have this passage today on this week after the, the things that have gone on for each and every one of us and in my life and in my family's life, just all the different things. Lord, and you allowed us to hear this today. You allowed me to hear it in my life this week. Lord, the good news just keeps getting better. Lord, it just is incredible. It would have been just enough for your son to come and die on the cross in our place. But Lord, you keep adding to it, gift upon gift upon gift. Lord, forgive us where we reject your Holy Spirit. 
Lord, I pray that if we are doing that in our hearts, our heart, even if it's just in a small spot, that, Lord, right now you would do work. This is an amazing group of people who love you, Lord. And to see them abounding more and more in that love, man, I can't wait to see it, Lord. And you are faithful and just to do it. All we need to do is submit and respond to your call to repentance. So I pray, Lord, that we would do that today. Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.